Great guests, great stories, great listening. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox. I am your social worker with a microphone. How are you this morning? Thanks for joining us on Voice America Women's Network with my co-host, Lauren Beller. Lauren, how are you this morning? Good morning, Catherine. I'm doing great. Are you? I'm, I'm, I'm holding my own here because I tell you, everything's falling apart, not just the economy, but also oh, no. my AOL, my Comrex, my studio, but oh. here I am. Yes, technology but, challenges. What did you say? Technology challenges. Technology. Hey, what? this is like today, it's like really scary stuff, isn't it? I don't want to scare everybody, say. but I'm scared. It is scary stuff. You know, yes. it's, I keep wondering if we're at the bottom. And I'm not sure. At the economy? Yeah. I'm not so sure either. Yeah. I, you know, I think that maybe we're not and maybe that something else is going to get worse. But Well, I also think it was interesting that um, the two presidential candidates both were on the same page saying that they wouldn't do the bailout and then we ended up doing it. So I always wonder, like, what do they know that so many of us don't know, even potential presidential candidates? You tell me. I have no idea. And I was oh. listening to Lou Dobbs, who kind of goes yeah. Like, yeah, this morning, and he was, t- I mean, he's talking to all these experts, these financial experts, economic experts, and they're saying that neither one of the candidates really have a plan. I mean, they can't fix the whole problem. No. There's, and, you know, I had dinner last night with um, some friends of mine, and all different, all different um, philosophies on <laughs> the presidential race in the state of our world. And it was interesting when it finally, we got tired of discussing it all. I mean, we both, we all, four of us walked away tired and saying, it's like so much, there's so many issues. There's so many issues. And how are we going to fix it? Well, I'm working for Obama, and I've done the best I can. I've donated as much money as I possibly can. I really Good have. Good for you. What? Good for you. Yes, and I just have done that. I do it. I the DNC, the Obama campaign. And I, Aunt Lauren, I'm thinking of going to one of the swing states, uh, Pennsylvania. I don't know if that's considered a swing state, but I was on the Obama website, and they said that asking people from New York uh, who were available to be able to go to Pennsylvania and to work in any capacity, and that's what I think I'm going to do. Good for you. I'm very proud of you. Thank you very much. What I'm are you very... going to do? <laughs> I'm heading back to Austin and going to be speaking my democratic points of view in the state of Texas. I hope you're still alive after that. <laughs> I continue to talk about it, and a lot of you, it's really interesting. Well, I also, you know what else I'm going to do? I'm flying to Pennsylvania tonight, actually, and I'm going to be speaking tomorrow at a keynote for National Association of Women Business Owners in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I am bringing nothing with me but my speaking notes, my suit, and Michael Moore's newest book. What's Michael Moore's newest book? Now I've seen him on the on on the, on the net and on television, but is he addressing the presidential campaign? Oh, <laughs> he is addressing presidential campaign, and he's got a book that's called Mike's Election Guide for 2008. Very cool. I'm gonna have to run out and get it after the show. Highly recommend it. Now right. you know Michael Moore is cynical, and you know everybody knows you know everybody knows Michael Moore, and either you love him or you hate him. And um, I, he is. What I love about this book is I am learning more about history and politics than I've ever learned before. He's so fact, you know, he's such a good fact finder. I and love e- that. Easy to read, easy to understand. Hugely big print, um, 260 pages, and the big print pictures. Even he has real people asking real questions. He has their face, and real people asking real questions. And Michael Moore answers them from his perspective based on the facts he knows about the state of the United States. Let's talk about Sarah Palin. Oh, let's talk about her. I get emails, and I, some of them are duplicates, which is one of the issues I find is a problem. I've got Women Against Sarah Palin, I've received, which, had, which was 72 pages of email uh-huh. logs from different women all over the country, uh, each with their own story and each with their own reason for not voting for Sarah Palin. Uh-huh. Uh, then I've gotten, uh, Eve Ensler has written, I think, two essays, uh, you sent me one of them, and a few other people that I know also sent me others about uh, her read on Sarah Palin, negative read on Sarah Palin. The problem is I feel like we're emailing back and forth to the choir. How do you 
not do that? How no, do you... I don't. I do have I have a couple of people that I know are on the fence, and I email them, and I've asked them, is it okay if I email you? And they've reluctantly, they've said yes, but there was still a little reluctance. But I just keep sending it, and I don't ever get responses. But, I mean, I speak to them, and they haven't said don't do it. They We have heated discussions over it, but they're not finished with their, they haven't made a decision yet. So I just, I, so I'm sure they're getting tired of my emails. <laughs> But what about on a mass scale? How do we do I that? Th- I do think that it starts with one at a time, but it's not, you know, that's why they say, can people from New York go to Pennsylvania? Because it's a swing state, and can we help encourage those that are, you know, on the fence? To- but how do you get those emails? You're sending emails about Sarah Palin, negative stuff, to... To people your- that I know that are on the fence. People that you know are on the fence. How do you send those to people the mass emails to people who are, you know, are independents around the country, people who are on the fence. How question. do you I do don't, it? I think, but I do think that, you know, Obama's campaign has been grassroots since day one. And I believe that. People, there's a lot of question about that, and a lot of Republicans will speak otherwise. You know, where does he get his, you know, really, where does he get his money? Well, I believe it's been grassroots right along. So I think that that's it's a grassroots issue. I think that we continue to have to speak to small groups and, help people understand the real issues in a small group setting. David Brooks. you know who David Brooks is? He writes for the New York Times. He's a conservative. Uh-huh. He's very conservative. He's very concerned. And this is why this makes this an important piece. This piece was in the New York Times as well as in our local paper. And the title of it is, Chutzpah is No Substitute for Experience. And I don't want to read the whole article because you can go online and look it up and listeners if you want to read the whole article it's david brooks the new york times but there's a piece here that i think is really important and you and i lauren have been discussing it several on the show for the past few weeks and he talks about what's necessary for uh, electing a president or vice president and he really puts it he makes it very clear um he talks about and i'm gonna he, he talks about the fact that and I'm going to start in the middle of this whole piece. Um, and he talks about our nation's founders. He goes way, way back. And I'm going to start. He goes, in the current weekly standard, Stephen Hayward argues that the nation's founders wanted uncertified citizens to hold the highest offices in the land. They did not believe in a separate class of professional executives. They wanted rough and rooted people like Palin. I would have more sympathy for this view if I hadn't lived through the past eight years. If the Bush administration wasn't anything, it was the anti-establishment attitude put into executive practice. The problem with this attitude is that it made President Bush inept at governance. It turns out that governance, the creation and execution of policy, is hard. It requires acquired skills. Most of all, it requires prudence. What is prudence? It is the ability to grasp the unique pattern of a specific situation. It is the ability to absorb the vast flow of information and still discern the essential current of events, the things that go together and the things that will never go together. It is the ability to engage in deliberations and feel which arguments have the most weight. How is prudence acquired? Through experience. The prudent leader, he's talking about leadership, possesses a repertoire of events through personal involvement or the study of history and can apply those models to judge what is important and what is not, what has worked and what hasn't. Experienced leaders can certainly blunder if their minds have rigidified, see Rumsfeld Donald, (laughs) but the records of leaders without long experience and prudence is not good. As George Will pointed out, the founders used the word experience 91 times in the Federalist Papers, and this is the key. Democracy is not average people selecting average leaders. It is average people with the wisdom to select the best prepared. Well said. Is that well said? This is David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, and this is, is his editorial. Very well said. Sarah Palin has many virtues. If you wanted someone to destroy a corrupt establishment, she'd be your woman. But governance is another matter. She has not been engaged in national issues, does not have a repertoire of historic patterns, and like Bush, she seems to compensate for her lack of experience with brashness and excessive decisiveness. 
I agree with that. Well said. Mm. I'm, glad, I'm glad that you're sharing, sharing his perspective. I do think that this is a serious time, and I think that we've gotten um, uh, masks. I don't even know a better word. But by reality TV and we select people, we're not really thinking about what we're truly selecting people to do. Like we're not, When this election's over and people have to go to work, really, can these people do the job? Can, who can do the job? Who's going to be able to get down, roll up their sleeves, and do the job the way we would want it to be done? Yeah, and I think this crisis, this economic crisis, is bringing all of this to the fore. I agree with that. You know, we're we're finished with the moose hunting and the PTA mom and the pit bulls and the lipstick. This is serious stuff. What are you going to do and how are you going to do it? It's really serious, and at the end of the day, this will absolutely affect every single American's life. So we have to uh, truly think about who do we want working for us. Lauren, we have a few seconds left for the first thing of the show, so we're going to just take a short break. Lauren Beller with Catherine Zox on Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Hey, guys, don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back, everyone. I'm Catherine Zox, and I'm your social worker with the microphone with my co-host, Lauren Beller. Joining us this morning is our first guest, Dr. Petros Levanius, and he's here to talk to us about, and here's the question, does alcoholism increase during an economic turndown? How appropriate is this? Uh, Dr. Levanius is, is not only a doctor, he's an author, he, and he is also director of the Addiction Institute of New York and chief of addiction psychiatry at St. Luke's and Roosevelt Hospital in New York City. So September, and this is September, we're still in September, is National <laughs> Alcohol and Drug Addiction Recovery Month. And this year, more than ever, so true, this, today more than ever, it is important to recognize that there are ways for people who are alcohol dependent to find help with this chronic disease. And apparently there are nearly 8 million Americans who are alcohol dependent. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lavonius. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yes. Well, how perfect is this today? I mean, we could, you talk about alcoholism during an economic turndown. We yes. couldn't get more of an economic turndown for you today, doctor. So I agree. I, I heard the, the, the end of your last interview, and I think it's right on. It's, uh, it's going to affect every single American. 
So, but we have a huge problem. We're talking about 8 million people who are alcohol dependent. So now right. what's going to happen with all of this stuff that's happening in the economy? Uh, you know, tell us, what are some of the facts? Who's going to be affected? And what can we do about it? Sure. Uh, it's not only the 8 million people who are, have the full-blown uh, illness of alcoholism. It's also another 10 million or so who have a problem drinking, who are abusing alcohol. So the problem is really uh, quite large. And uh, in this economic downturn that, that we're experiencing right now, we see two things. First of all, we see people who never had problems with alcohol. Finally, radio that was made just for you. Voice America Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Voice America Women's Network. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Beller. And thanks for joining us. And if you are just joining us, we've been talking to Dr. Petros Levanius, and he is an author, uh, a director of the Addiction Institute of New York and chief of addiction psychiatry at St. Luke's and Roosevelt Hospital in New York City, and here to talk to us about does alcoholism increase during an economic downturn. So we were downturn. We were right in the middle of it when we uh, got disconnected, doctor. So yeah. go on. All right, we have an enormous problem here, not people who are just not full-blown alcoholics, but people who are dependent on alcohol. And then you get the stress during this economic turndown, and then right. what happens? So, so what's really heartbreaking here is people who may have had problems with alcohol before, they are now in recovery, they managed to stop uh, drinking, they are doing all the right thing, and then, of course, this uh, acute stress happens w w with the economic downturn, and uh, they go back to, to drinking, uh, the relapse. So that is really what, what we see. And uh, people have to, to recognize that uh, once you uh, get addicted to a particular drug, alcohol or heroin or cocaine or nicotine or whatever, it is the vulnerability to go back to, uh, to the drug is, uh, stays with you for a long, long time, if not for the rest of your life. So even if somebody uh, has been in recovery for uh, maybe 10, 15 years, under the stressful conditions of, uh, of today, you know, a parent not being able to provide for their children, uh, the uh, loss of home, the loss of jobs, uh, you can very, very well lead to, to relapse. All right, so we have to, I hear you saying that we have to, first of all, we have to recognize that this is possible. You are more vulnerable if you are alcohol dependent or if you are a full-blown alcoholic and have a Absolutely. major problem. So if you are more vulnerable and you are, say, the breadwinner or the spouse or the partner, or mm -hmm. then what do you do? You recognize you're vulnerable. You recognize that this is... You know, we're having very difficult times economically. So what can the person themselves do and what can the family do to help to, uh, you know, alleviate some of the problems so that the person doesn't end up, uh, uh, you know, really sick or in institutionalized or, you know, right, whatever, right, you know, right. all the consequences of, of alcohol abuse? You need to ask for help. Uh, a lot of people say, I'm strong enough, I can just do it by myself, uh, just uh, sheer willpower alone will uh, uh, carry the day. Well, we have found out that uh, the illness is uh, quite often bigger than even the strongest uh, willpower, so you need some help. Go to your physician, go to your doctor, talk to her or him about uh, what your concerns are. Uh, there are ways of uh, checking out your uh, uh, your liver and your other uh, organs in case you, you, you have some kind of medical uh, problem. And also, these days, there is counseling uh, and uh, not only AA. AA continues, Alcoholics Anonymous continues to be a wonderful way of uh, helping people uh, stay sober. But it's not the only way that we can, uh, we can help these days. And some people who may not uh, uh, do well in AA can go to a physician, maybe take medication for, for, their, for their condition. So what kinds of medications are available? That's something that I didn't know, and as I understand the statistic is, 66% of Americans are unaware that there are medications that do exist to treat alcoholism. If so, doctor, what are they, and where can you get them from your local physician, or do you have to go to a special place that specializes in alcoholism counseling? But what are those medications? What's available? 
nothing special about them. You can go to your general practitioner, your internist. Any physician has the right to uh, prescribe these medications. Uh, they are not uh, addictive medications themselves. Uh, we have four uh, FDA-approved medications, Campral, Vivitrol, Revia, and Antabuse, which are very easily uh, available to, to people. And uh, uh, in general, they have very little in terms of, uh, of side effects. So uh, it is one another way of helping people with, uh, with alcohol dependence. The best way, of course, to use the medication is in conjunction with counseling and psychotherapy. That's where they have their, their best results. And it seems to me it's almost a three-pronged treatment. If you go to AA, then you get counseling, and then you take medication. Absolutely. That's exactly correct. Uh, if you do all three, then you really increase your chances of, uh, of sobriety, of uh, beating the, the illness. Now, what about individuals themselves? Because I know that often, especially with alcoholism, alcohol addiction, there is this issue of denial. Denial, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, it, I can I can control my drinking. Right. If I do want right. to stop, I'll be able to stop. You yeah. know, there's all those that kind of like uh, talking to oneself and 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 not admitting to the problem. So, how right. can families, when they are, because this happens all the time, they've got someone in the family who has a problem who won't admit it. How does the family intervene? How do they get them into this three-pronged program? Right. Uh, first things first, stop the cover-ups. Uh, family members often make excuses to protect the, the, the alcoholic from the results of the drinking. Uh, they, they cover for her or him, and they remove the negative consequences of, of drinking. So really stop bailing people out because they need to uh, actually confront their, their, their drinking problem. So they would be considered enablers. They're helping correct, even though correct. they don't – supposedly they unconsciously are enabling the person to drink, although if you ask them, they would say that they're not. Because I think there's a – don't you think, Doctor, there's a whole element of shame when it comes to if you have a drinking problem, especially with the, the a spouse or a partner because – Huge shame. Huge shame, not only for the individual but for the whole family. And now that we know that there's a genetic component to alcoholism, then the children of alcoholics and the parents of alcoholics are hugely – shameful because it reflects uh, on them as well. Uh, so it's, uh, there's a lot of collusion uh, among family members to conceal the, 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 the true uh, range of the problem. And in the United States, uh, we're not only talking about the detriment to each, to the individual, or to the family, but it's also very costly. Talk to us about that. I mean, it behooves us as Americans to do something about it because we're talking billions of dollars in direct yes. and indirect social costs per year. It's estimated at $155 billion a year to be the cost of alcohol dependence, and this is truly an underestimate because uh, it's based on um, days of absence from work and so on. But what we find now is that there are uh, concealed uh, problems with alcohol that also have an economic impact. For example, presenteeism, when people show up at work and they uh, function uh, much less than 100% because of the alcohol problem. Uh, That's not really recorded anywhere. The person is at work, but uh, their productivity is just so much lower that uh, the overall cost of alcoholism to society is way above $185 billion a year. Now, we have a couple of minutes left, so I would like to be real specific so that we have information we can give to sure. our listeners. Where can they go online to get some of the information we've been talking about today, Dr. Levonius, but also, uh, you know, if they want to get help, treatment, wherever they are in the country? Um, any specific uh, websites you would recommend? Yes. Uh, the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism has a wonderful website. It's the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Uh, but also some of the medications that I mentioned before have their own websites. If people need information about the medication at uh, vivitrol.com or campral.com, and uh, that, that's quite helpful as well. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Very helpful, very important. Dr. Petros Levinius, Levinus, right? Levinus, uh, yes. is the Director <laughs> of the Addiction Institute of New York and Chief of Addiction Psychiatry at St. Luke's and Roosevelt Hospital in New York City. Thank you for sharing your information today. Thank you. Have a great day. We're going to take a short break now. Lauren Beller, Catherine Zox, we're on Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Today's professional woman is confronted by outrageous advertising and cultural pressures that assume how a woman should look and behave. The show Women, Food, Sex, and Power, Rekindling Your Fire, will finally challenge these seriously flawed assumptions and discuss daring alternatives. Join host Bethany Gagné for an authentic reflection of the modern woman every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Hey, y'all, this is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www. .thanksusa.org to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart, but I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Finally, radio that was made just for you. Voice America Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. You're listening to Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone on Voice America Women's Network with my co-host, Lauren Deller. Lauren, we got some gals coming up in about five minutes. They are the author of several books. This is their latest book called Skinny Bitch in the Oven. I can't wait to hear about this. <laughs> and because we're on, we are on the net, my dear, we can say whatever we want. We can say the word bitch. I saw them advertised. I saw them doing a show on the Today Show with uh, Meredith Vieira. And, of course, they had the, the bitch part of one of the letters blocked out because I guess, I don't know, you can't say that on, on regular television. Right, a regular network, network, yeah. Yeah, but we can say whatever we want. Anyway, skinny bitch, skinny bitch bun in the oven. I can't wait to hear about This is about babies. I figured. Yeah, how to become one hot and healthy mother. You're a hot and healthy mother. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're a hot, yes, you, I mean, if anyone goes online, takes a look at you with your new hairdo also, um, you're looking hot and sexy, and um, I love your new hairdo. Thank you. And, you know, I have to say, I can't wait to hear what I have to say about this topic, because I don't think, I think that it's just, we don't put taking care of ourselves as a priority. And that goes back to the election, by the way. <laughs> you want to go back to the elections, but they're already here. I don't know if we have. No, it's okay, go ahead. Well, you can, but you can comment because if you want to tie that into the election being well, it's just, you know, a skinny bitch run in the oven, go right ahead and just true. interrupt me, my dear. Our All next right. guest is ready. And uh, Kim Barnuian, I think that's who we have on the air, who is one of the authors of Skinny Bitch Bun in the Oven. Skinny Bitch, with over one million copies in print, created a movement when it exposed the horrors of the food industry and inspired people across the world to stop eating crap. Yes, go ladies. Now the bitches are back, this time with a book geared to pregnant women. And just because their audience is in a delicate condition doesn't mean they'll deliver a gentle message. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm here with my lovely partner, Roy Friedman, as well. Oh, terrific. So you're both here. Both here. Okay, Kim and Rory. And uh, I've seen you gals on the Today Show. I've seen you on the net. You're skinny. You're gorgeous. <laughs> you could are our role. I'm skinny, but I'm not gorgeous, and I'm much older than you. But anyway, okay, skinny bitch bun in the oven. This is the this is the whole part of a whole series of books. How did they get started? You know, our first book, Skinny Bitch, we wrote a few years ago. Kim and I both used to be the worst eaters on the planet. We were total pigs. We ate fast food every day. We drank soda by the bucket load. You name it, we did it if it was bad for you. And then eventually we each started changing our own diets and once we did so, we just started feeling incredibly different and our lives got better and we were happier and nicer and 
more positive and just everything improved for us. And it's so true. You know what? I think when you eat that, as you say, crap, you feel like crap afterwards. And it may take good going down, but then the rest of the day, I mean, you really, it affects your concentration. It affects your, you know, physically. I think in all ways, don't you? I mean, you really can't put that stuff in your body. Absolutely. So once we changed our diets and felt better, we just felt really compelled to share what we were learning with other people and, and spread the word. And so what's been the response? Oh, the response has been so great. We're very, very fortunate to have so many supporters, and we get emails every day, you know, telling us how we've changed people's lives and their health has improved and they've lost weight and things have been just really great for us, and we're very grateful for that. So, ladies, what makes your book different? Because as we all know, there are hundreds if not thousands of books that tell you how to eat and what you should eat and exercise. What would you? What is the, the the thing that makes your book really unique? Well, I'm going to say that our book is awesome. And this is Kim. This is Rory. I'm, this is Rory. Now I'm going to say Kim is without a doubt the most incredible researcher on the planet. And this book, Skinny Bitch Bun in the Oven, we've cited from more than 300 sources. We've got over 500 endnotes. So the information in this book is compelling and informational, but astounding also on some levels. And um, it's just it's stuff you're not going to find in a typical pregnancy book, but that you really want to know. But the way that we write it is so amazingly unique, and that's Rory's department, is that it's the kind of book that you're reading, you just learn something amazing, but then the next sentence you want to pee yourself because you're laughing out loud. <laughs> it's like your best friend is talking to you, like, wake up, girlfriend, this is what you need to do. And it's so funny and so informative that it's just such a great read, and you actually retain the information so much better because you're laughing at the same time that you're learning something. Yeah, I think that's so true, Kim, because when you read these books that are so dry and they're boring, and yes, they might have the right scientific information, which your book has, it has both, but it's written in the, uh, a delightful way, a funny way, you, you want to read it, you enjoy reading it, and at the same time, you, as you say, you're getting like all the good information. Okay, let's get specific, though, about skinny bitch bun in the oven, because this has to do very specifically with pregnant women. A little late for me, but not for the rest of the audience. Right. Well, we decided when we first wrote Skinny Bitch, we knew that we wanted to write a bunch of books because we wanted to make sure that we really reached everyone. But with Skinny Bitch Bun in the Oven particularly, we felt like it's women who are feeding the family and who are responsible for feeding everyone on on the planet practically. So if we could really just educate expectant moms and help them have have healthy pregnancies and affect their lives, then they're going to bring that back to the house and back to the kitchen and back to the family so by educating expectant moms, we're really just helping change the whole world with regards to health. You are, because you really are starting when the, the bun is in the oven. And, you know, we have this nation of fat kids, and, and that starts when the bun is immediately asked out of the oven. We start stuffing our kids. So I think it's, I mean, that's an important point. Okay, but what are some of the best foods for uh, a healthy baby and mommy? You know, you say it's really no time to be concerned about your figure. What do you mean? I think that, you know, you just need to focus on what is going to be the most wholesome, natural, fresh food, and that's just eating fresh fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lentils, nuts, seeds. Just think about, you know, what is, what's the best for my baby and for myself, and, you know, let's not worry about carbs and I'm trying to count calories. This is just in the time to really enjoy food, enjoy your body, and just eat well and enjoy yourself. Right, and that said, we also want to stress, though, just because you're pregnant, it's not a free pass to pig out all day and eat junk. A lot of people get so excited when they're pregnant, they think that now they can eat everything. When you gain too much weight, you're definitely endangering yourself and also your baby. So you you want to pay attention to what you're eating and eat well, not care about your figure, but not go crazy either. So what you're saying, Kim is, and Rory, that there's a, a balance. I mean, you want to, you don't want to be dieting, but at the same time, that old saying, you know, you're eating for two, that's really not a good mantra to go by. I mean, I did that. I gained 47 pounds on my first baby, and I had started out weighing 105 pounds. And I'm eating for two, and boy, did I eat. I ate good food, but too much of it. And then when I gave birth to the baby, he was seven pounds. Well, you know, that's another... <laughs> 40, 35 pounds to get rid of. Uh, so you don't want to be in that kind of a position. Well, yeah, the thing is to just eat well, really pay attention to what your doctor is telling you, where your weight needs to be. We talk about how much weight gain is, is, um, is healthy for pregnant women depending on your pre-pregnancy weight. But, again, just make smart, healthy food choices. And, and it's now's a good time to enjoy food as well. So what about women who start out not so good? You know, some women start out 
they they already are the, the, you know an average weight a good weight. What about some of these women who start out and they really are heavy to begin with, um, and they're pregnant? I mean, you know, there's nothing. That's it. So then, how do they eat, or what is there? Do they eat differently, or should they eat differently? Well, here's the thing: it's it's challenging for anybody to make changes to their diet, whether they're pregnant or not. It's just change is hard for all of us. But now when you're pregnant, it's a really good time to get motivated once and for all because not only are you affecting your own health, either positively, positively or negatively, negatively um, but you're also affecting your unborn baby. There is a study that we talk about in our book, and um, I won't go into too much depth now, but it is a study that talks about whether or not you were obese to start with and whether it's safe to not gain weight during your pregnancy. And this one study said that it's actually okay not to. It is just one study. But if you are overweight to begin with, you can talk to your doctor after you read the book, let them know about the study, and together decide if you should be gaining weight or not gaining weight during your pregnancy. Now, what about the other end of the spectrum? You know, the the, the woman who gets pregnant and maybe she's underweight, you know, has been one of these people who diets all the time and very over-concerned with, you know, looks, et cetera, and is underweight when you get pregnant. Is there anything that they should be mindful of? Um, well, you know what? Somebody like that, unfortunately, there's only so much we can do with food that's someone who really is going to be needing to talk to a psychologist or a counselor of some kind during their pregnancy because to be concerned with your figure or obsessing about what you're eating and calories while you're pregnant is its not good when you're not pregnant. It's definitely not good when you're pregnant. So it's, it's definitely um, a psychological issue that should be addressed and it shouldn't be taken lightly. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I mean, that's excellent advice that you, you know, not only do you see your physician or your OBGYN, but, yeah, maybe you need some counseling at the same time. And I just want to add to that, now is a good time to mention, yes, we call the book Skinny Bitch, Bun in the Oven. It's very tongue-in-cheek. We we call the book that because it's a funny, provocative, stupid title that will get people's attention. But Kim and I both acknowledge that there's nothing dumber than trying to be skinny while you're pregnant. It's It's absolutely ridiculous. And even women who are nursing sometimes try to do that, you know, at a time when you really need to eat more good food, but definitely eat more because you really are feeding another person. You also talk about some of the, and this is interesting, the dangers of of common, the lotions, the creams, the beauty products that women put on their bodies when they're pregnant is not necessarily a good thing because I know sometimes you can get dry skin, um, you know, and uh, so you have to kind of beware of some of the stuff that's out there that's not good for you when you're pregnant that seeps into your skin and I guess also affects the baby or the fetus. Yeah, definitely. I think that when you're pregnant, you really need to, to remember everything that I'm ingesting or putting on my skin is going to go to my baby. So this is just a time to try to keep things as simple and natural and clean as possible um, so, you know, talk to your doctor, research things. Just make sure you're really, you know, armed with information so that you know what does this chemical mean? Do I really need to use it? How is this going to affect my baby? Really pay attention to what you're ingesting and putting on your skin. And what about breastfeeding? That's the best thing you can do for your baby. Um, it's, it's just the best start you can do in life. And no matter, you know, what your feelings might be about it, just give it a chance. Be open-minded about it. You know, your baby really needs you to make the best decisions for them. And I think that, you know, just give it a try, even no matter how long you do it for. Um, studies have shown that breastfed babies have higher IQs. It strengthens their immune system. They have less ear infections. And for really big reasons, this is um, reduces the risk for childhood cancers, obesity, food allergies, rheumatoid arthritis, diabetes. So it's a really big deal, and it's a, it's a very healthy thing to do for your baby, but... Also for the moms. Right. What's good for the baby is good for the mommy. And um, mothers who breastfeed are going to see their uterus shrink back to size at a faster rate. They're going to return to their pre-pregnancy weight sooner. And they're also going to be burning up to 500 calories a day just by producing breast milk. So So as you say, suck it up and breastfeed. Boobs exist for a reason. That's right. That's right. No other reason but for your babies. Yeah. Boobs are for babies. Well, I have to tell you, ladies, that I breastfed three boys up until a year and a half. Did I do a good job? Oh, good for you. That's great. Good work. But I have to say, Kim, Rory, I got a lot of criticism for that, and not just from, you know, mothers and mother-in-laws and different generations, but even from friends. Like, are you still breastfeeding with that kind of very judgmental attitude? And you have to be 
strong to be able to stand up to that. Now, this was, you know, a few years ago. I don't know if that kind of an attitude still exists. We're gonna, I, w- I want you to answer that question when we get back because we've only got a few seconds left. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to Kim Barnouian and Rory Friedman, skinny ditch bun in the oven on the Catherine Zoff Show, Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with a microphone. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Hey, Ranger, why do you have to remind people to be careful with fire? Well, Mr. Mountain Lion, sometimes people need to be reminded about certain things, like not to run with scissors or let children play with wild dingoes, and to be responsible for fires they start. So what you're saying is that people can be careless and forgetful? Pretty much. (coughs) That makes me very sad. Sounds like someone needs a hug. Back over, I'll turn your hat into confetti! Remember, only you can prevent wildfires. A public service message from Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ag Council. Great guests, great stories, great listening. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to Voice America Women's Network with my co-host Lauren Beller and our guests, Rory Freeman and Kim Barnouian. And they are the authors of Skinny Bitch, Bun in the Oven. We've been talking about healthy eating choices, which is in their book. It's a fun book to read, but it's also uh, a book that you can, that's been really scientifically researched. So a lot of good stuff in there about what to eat while you are pregnant. And before we took the break, ladies, we're talking about breastfeeding because I do think that's really important. I totally agree with you. But um, you really, I think there's a lot of issues associated with Breastfeeding, and I don't know if you've experienced this in your research or in the book, but not all, even physicians only give you support up to a certain point, and and then they're ready, I think, to uh, you know tell you that you have to give them give the baby food or give people food who don't even have teeth, um, and so you have to be kind of very, I think, sure of yourself to be able to do breastfeeding and continue with it. Yeah, and I that's so wonderful of you when you were saying you know how long that you were breastfeeding your sons as well, and I think that you actually do need to to be strong in your ideas and your opinions about it. I know from my mom, when, you know, she has three daughters, and she didn't breastfeed, and, and it wasn't, her doctor was not supporting her choice for that. So, you know, it just wasn't pushed. And I think that I know so many moms now, and so many moms are breastfeeding, and they're breastfeeding for a long time. And I think that it really makes me feel hopeful that we've definitely changed our view of breastfeeding, why it turned out to be such a weird um, negative thing to do, but nowadays women are breastfeeding longer, and I feel it, it is there's so much more support out there. I do sometimes get funny looks when I tell people that my son is almost two and I'm still breastfeeding, even from some doctors, <laughs> but I just don't care because I know that I'm doing the right thing for my son. He's like hardly ever sick, and I know that there's so many of his little friends that have had such bad illnesses. And um, I'm just so proud. And, you know, women, just hang in there. It's the best thing you can do for your baby, and just go for it. Be strong. Yeah, I agree. I think that's terrific. And two years old, boy, you get the kudos from me. I think that's wonderful. Um, so is he – do you have one? Or is this your first or your – This is my first, yes. This is your first. Well, you are. You're doing a great thing. That's true. And it, uh, one last – I have two – I guess we only have a couple minutes left. You girls have uh, are leaving at uh, 10.50. But um, – 
What about the workplace? You know, because now most women are working at least part-time. How does that fit into breastfeeding? You know, the, the basic thing is, is this isn't, people say it's a personal choice. It's science. It's a science-based choice. Whether your pediatrician is behind the science or not, it exists in medical journals. People who study this, pediatricians unfortunately don't get a lot of nutritional training when they're in, in medical school. The scientifically based that breastfeeding is the way to go, and I think that that's probably the best note we can end on. Yeah, that's a great note to end on. And, and, and is there any other thing that you want to tell our listeners? Well, first of all, I want to buy the book, Skinny Bitch Bun in the Oven. You can get that on Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Any particular website that, that uh, you would recommend that uh, women can go to in addition to buying and, and reading your book? Uh, no, they can find our book on uh, any major bookstore and also on our website at skinnybitch.net. Terrific. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Oh. Lots of good information. Thanks. Rory Friedman and Kim Barnuian, Skinny Bitch Bun in the Oven. Have a good day. Lauren? <laughs> how long did you how, how long did you breastfeed for? Now, I don't think you could beat me a, a year and a half. No, it's well, 16 months, so it was close to a year and a half. We, we sort of wound down between 16 and 18 months, and it was, you know, once and twice a day. You know, it was it was between 16 and 18 months that we and we finally ended. It was it was it was like 17, 18. I don't exactly remember. And I think at that point, your baby or your toddler kind of tells you it's sort of a joint decision. It's, it totally is. And yeah. I had a great doctor in Austin. I was, I really love him. And he said, I said to him when she was just born, when do you stop, you know? <laughs> I do not know when to stop. And he says, when one or both parties want to. Exactly. And, 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 that and that's, which, which is very different than if you start doing it at three months or six months because then it just becomes your decision and your exactly. four. Yeah. But a toddler, and, and I think within a month's period of time because I had three, you know, each one of them were, was a little bit different about the nursing in terms of when they wanted to, to, to end it. And I was very sad, and, and uh, any of you ladies who have had more than one or two or three and you've nursed them all, I think that last baby, knowing that I would never nurse another baby again, was a loss. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. There's a, there's a connection that it's, there's nothing like that connection. Yeah, it, and, and it really, um, I think it's something to, to acknowledge and to, it, it's, it's almost like, uh, the same kind of it's it's not postpartum depression but there is something to it it is a loss because you know then you're establishing a different connection with your baby and it's uh-huh. it's and they're more independent and um i found that kind of because knowing that i was not going to have another baby oh i, so I imagine that last one that's true yeah and maybe true for you too or but we I don't know well the other <laughs> <laughs> or i'm not but i don't think that. i was in a place where i consciously said that's it you know what I mean? Where you, after three, you said, okay, that's it. I'm consciously done. I'm done. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah. So I was like, maybe, maybe not. So I never knew if that was the end. Yeah. That's good. So you had a little bit of ambivalence you could work with there. And mine was like, it's, you know, I'm 37, 38 years old. That's enough. You know what's interesting? Just really, we have time for me to say this. It's that You were going to make the connection. The connection between skinny bitch buns and skinny... Bitch bun yeah. in the well, oven and say, uh, the elections. I well, want to have a connection. Now I have two things I want to say. Just to be complete with that last point, that connection piece with our children, whatever, however old, I think it doesn't have to go away just because we stop nursing, but I think we have to be conscious about how we're going to choose to connect with them after we stop breastfeeding. Excellent point. I really, like that. I think that's really important. Yes. Just because you stop doesn't mean that connection has to be go away. That way it goes away, but it doesn't mean you have to stop that more intimate connection. And there are different ways to establish intimacy with your child. Exactly. Yeah, and take yeah. a look at that because that's the future. Make, make the break, make it a healthy break, and then go on to next. It's that's a good point. Stage. I like that. All right. Now, so now, but I, I'm not going to let you get away with this because in the beginning, when these two gals came on, you said, "Well, there is, you wanted to talk about the connection between the skinny bitch bun in the oven and the election." They said that. They sort of alluded to it, and I didn't want to interrupt their train of thought. But they said, you know, taking care of yourself is the best thing you could do for your baby. So that, so I think the best thing we could do for ourselves, too, is be conscious about who we're electing for the next 100 years. Not that they're going to be in, but they have impact. For, I mean, I think this last eight years is going to have effect on us for the next 20 and 30 and 50. I would go further than that. I think that this, these past eight years has impacted our country in a way it will forever. 
you can't go back. What has happened and all the negative stuff as a result of having poor leadership is going to la- is is not going to go away, and it it, it has like this uh, you know a generalized effect that will go on forever. I mean, our country has changed forever. I agree with that. I do agree with that. So I guess my point is is that you know we have to take care of ourselves, and it's the better thing to take. For, if we're going to take care of our child, we have to take care of ourselves. And if we're going to take care of our child, we need to look really seriously at about, you know, who would you leave your child in the care of? You know, Sarah Palin would not be someone that you would take care of your child. She's going to pass it on to her nanny. Well, that's a whole, we could talk about that next week. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and I, I think mean, really, she wouldn't be home. Yeah, and, I mean, she has two children who really, I mean, a pregnant daughter and a special needs child. and I mean, her. some really serious stuff that needs to be attended to. And, and you have to look, maybe you just have to look how, in the way that she's attending to it. We're not judging, uh, you know, whether or not she decides to take a political office or not. How is she attending to it? That's a whole other issue. That's a whole other issue. And it's something to pay attention to. I mean, I just, I look at those two, um, Michelle Obama and Barack Obama's kids. I look at those kids there. You know, I would be um, so proud of Sierra to be that type of grounded kid. You know, when she's that age, they're really grounded, intelligent, bright, happy children. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think there's a lot of dignity to their family. The, uh, Barack Obama, both of them, you know, just well-grounded, dignified family. Uh, and uh, I, and me too. They are they're, they're the family that I would look up to, and they are um, somebody that I would like to be uh, leaders of our country, and I think that that's really important. And I, I think, think our getting family, caught up in all this uh, uh, American Idol kind of stuff exactly. for electing some uh, woman who just, uh, you know, shoots moose and, and talks off, you know, is able to talk uh, quickly, uh, you know, what do you call it, off the cuff, it, it does not uh, make someone a, a good presidential candidate, and you and I have to say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> and I guess um, choose consciously about who who we're going to have lead us, you know? Good parting words. Thank you. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Catherine Zock Show on Voice America Women's Network with my co-host, Lauren Beller. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next week.